Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, 11:30. Are you ready? Come on. Come on, let's be ready. Let's be blessed and highly caffeinated, somebody. We still got coffee flowing. Hey, we're going to throw on some house lights for us this morning, and that way you can see your notebook, your Bible, and I can see your faces as we have some good time covering a very, very big topic. In fact, out of all the topics that we had as options for you to cast your vote for, this one got nearly half of the votes out of 120 respondents. 46% said, I need to know more about suffering, pain, and evil. And so we're going to get there in just a few moments. First, I want to give you a personal life update. You probably won't care anything about this. Some of you may. For the past eight weeks, I hired a personal trainer, and I've really just been bringing my fitness to the next level. But if I could use one word to describe what the past two months have looked like for me, it would be this word, suffering. <laughs> like just being told what I can and cannot eat. I mean, ice cream is gone. It does not exist in our house right now. And with ice cream being gone, hope is gone, fun is gone, joy is gone, laughter is gone. I haven't laughed in eight weeks. It's just, it's just this thing. And, and what's so interesting about this and what's so weird about it is I'm paying this person hundreds of dollars a month to make me suffer. Like You guys should be praying over me this morning. Clearly there's just something not right. And, and here it is that I'm creating suffering in my own life. And that's what I kind of want to talk about this morning. Many of us can identify with suffering in our lives that we have created. In other words, if you're in pain today or you're suffering, maybe it's a relationship that's broken or it's a career that you just can't stand, if you're honest, you might be able to point to the moment where you made the decision that now has led to your suffering. Is that fair to say? Sometimes. And maybe when you were making the decision, someone told you, it might have been a spouse or a friend or a small group, I really don't think you should do that. Yeah, yeah, but he's different. I'm going to get him saved, and we're going to go to church. And, and you have people in your life that don't, don't buy that. It's, no, it's okay. I can make the payments. It'll be fine. And now fast forward, because hindsight's 2020. You can remember the moment where you made the decision that has now led to the suffering and pain that you are experiencing. We all have parts of our stories that look like that. And honestly, that's the easy t-ball suffering to talk about this morning. Like, that's where we just say, okay, let's be better decision makers. Let's figure this out on our own way, and then we won't have so much pain and suffering in our lives. But this is Blaze Church. We're going to play some hardball this morning. We're going to talk about the suffering that you and I experience that truthfully is no result of our doing. Like you go to the doctor for a checkup and they tell you there's something else going on and you've lived a healthy, active lifestyle. Why does that happen? Or you lose a family member, a good person. This should have never happened to them. Why does that happen? Why is there pain and injustice and racism and anger and hatred in people's hearts? Why is there evil? Why does natural disaster take out communities and families and people? So we're going to, in somehow 27 minutes, answer all of life's questions. Are you ready? Put on your seatbelts. 
We're not going to do that because I can't do that, okay? So what I'm asking you to do this morning is show me grace because what I'm going to do for our time together is I'm really going to just throw a whole lot of seed and then you're going to take that and you're going to process it throughout this week because I cannot give you an exhaustive, conclusive answer to this huge topic of pain, evil, and suffering. And if I stood up here and told you that I had the answer, I would be a liar, all right? Because all of us, this affects us differently. That's what's so interesting about suffering. While it is absolute and it is general, I don't know your story of how you've suffered. It's relative to your story. In fact, the person sitting next to you might go through the same circumstance, and it may not be the same level of suffering as it is to you. And so I want to be fair and sensitive to your pain, to your suffering, to the betrayal that you've experienced, to the manipulation you've had. Maybe it was from religious leaders. Maybe it was from a spouse, someone who just hurt you and lied to you. Maybe you lost a family member. Just this past couple weeks here at Blaze Church, we've been mourning with our Blaze family who has lost family members, even globally. Our brother Eric in Kenya who lost his nephew just this past week, and I've been praying with him. There's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in this world, isn't there? So does that mean that God does not exist? That's our question for today. That's the source of our doubt. So what is suffering? It's defined as the state of undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. And for nearly half of our respondents, this is what needs to be discussed So if you voted for this one, I just want to say thank you for making me suffer this week by doing a whole lot of research. Everybody wants to talk about this. So here's how we worded it. Suffering, if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? If God is good, or you might even say this morning, if God exists, why would there be so much pain, suffering, and evil? Let me ask the question the way a Scottish philosopher asked it, David Hume, which is going to be very wordy and very intelligent and things that I don't normally say on a regular basis, but here's what he said. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able to but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Why then is there evil? And what David is asking is simply this. If God has the desire to prevent evil, or if he has goodness in his nature, and he doesn't, he must not have the power to stop evil. He's impotent. And if he does, in fact, have the power, but he doesn't have the desire, he doesn't care enough about the people he made, well, he's not very good at all. He's evil himself. And if he has the power and the goodness and he doesn't, he must not be real. This is his hypothesis, his theory. And for many of us, as we observe all the pain and suffering that we go through and that our world goes through, it's easy for us to identify and say, well, then God must not be good, or he must not know all things, or he must not be all loving. And yet, Christianity and followers of Jesus would say, there is a God who is all-knowing, all-loving, and all-powerful. So how do we reconcile the two? And we are not going to come to a conclusion this morning because this topic has been debated and talked about for thousands of years. In fact, it's been talked about so much, it's given its own term. It's called a theodicy. I found this to be so interesting. This discussion is actually called theodicy, which is the vindication of divine goodness and providence, in our case, the God of Scripture, in view of the existence of evil. People have been talking about this forever. 
How do we say that God is good and God is real when there is pain and suffering in this world? So what I would like to do with our time is I want to give you three things. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these things down. The first thing is this. I want to give you the problem of suffering. The problem of suffering. And then we're going to talk about the purpose for suffering. And finally, the promise in suffering. So we've got the problem, the purpose, and the promise. And we're going to read from 1 Peter chapter 1 today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there or turn on your phone to get there. And if not, we've got you covered. We've got screen Bible. It'll be up here in just a few moments. Before we get there, I'm going to ask you to play along with me. Now, I did ask the team to turn the lights on so I can see who is playing my game and who is in direct disobedience and defiance, and I will see you and find you. Um, and, and because I want, I want to just take a survey. We've done it for the first two services. I, I have a hutch. Uh, this is going to go the same way. I'm not going to ask us who here doesn't believe in God because that just is not what we do here at Blaze Church. And, and so I'm not going to say, does everyone here believe in God? In fact, maybe you don't, and I'm so thankful that you're here. That's a big deal to come to church and not believe in God. Thank you for coming. I am going to ask this, though, and by a show of hands, you can agree with me or not. How many of us would say that they believe in evil, pain, and suffering? You've either experienced it yourself or you've seen it at work in this world. Go ahead. It's not a trick question. No one's going to take your money. You can keep one hand on your wallet if you don't trust us. Awesome. So, 100% in all three services. That's pretty good survey results. So here's my question to you then. How? How can you and I agree and get 100% agreeance that there is such a thing as pain, evil, and suffering in this world, and yet we can't all agree that there is a God in this world? Think, like, how can we all sit here and say, this is wrong, whatever this is. So if we brought up a, a, an injustice or someone losing their life, and we would all say, that's a tragedy, that is suffering, that is evil. The way that person acts, the way that dictator runs, the government, whatever it is, we could all collectively, and think in your own world, you could probably get a group of diverse friends of different beliefs around a table and say, hey guys, let's talk about something in the news. Do you think that this was wrong? You get a lot of consensus around that. And yet, if you say, but what about God? Do you believe in his existence? We would all be like, no, I mean, I don't think there's God, but I definitely think that there's evil. That's, like, obvious. Okay, if this is going over your head, it's going over my head, too. Trust me. This is called the moral argument. And so for the next five minutes, what we are going to do is we are going to watch a cartoon. Someone say amen. Cartoons in adult church. I was like, if Blaze Kids gets to watch cartoons for their lesson, we're going to watch a cartoon for our lesson. And so we're going to take the next five minutes, and we are going to discover together what is called the moral argument, which is what I've kind of set us up for to discover. How can we all agree that evil and suffering exist, and yet there are so many who could say, yeah, but there's no God. He does not exist. So take a look at the screen, take some notes, and then we will get into God's Word together. Can you be good without God? Let's find out. <laughs> Absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait. The question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? The question is, can you be good without God? See, here's the problem. If there is no God, what basis remains for objective good or bad, right or wrong? 
If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. And here's why. Without some objective reference point, we have no way of saying that something is really up or down. God's nature provides an objective reference point for moral values. It's the standard against which all actions and decisions are measured. But if there's no God, there's no objective reference point. All we are left with is one person's viewpoint, which is no more valid than anyone else's viewpoint. This kind of morality is subjective, not objective. It's like a preference for strawberry ice cream. The preference is in the subject, not the object. So it doesn't apply to other people. In the same way, subjective morality applies only to the subject. It's not valid or binding for anyone else. So, in a world without God, there can be no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. God has expressed his moral nature to us as commands. These provide the basis for moral duties. For example, God's essential attribute of love is expressed in his command to love your neighbor as yourself. This command provides a foundation upon which we can affirm the objective goodness of generosity, self-sacrifice, and equality. And we can condemn as objectively evil greed, abuse, and discrimination. This raises a problem. Is something good just because God wills it, or does God will something because it is good? The answer is neither one. Rather, God wills something because He is good. God is the standard of moral values, just as a live musical performance is the standard for a high-fidelity recording. Without your love. The more a recording sounds like the original, the better it is. Likewise, the more closely a moral action conforms to God's nature, the better it is. But if atheism is true, there is no ultimate standard. So there can be no moral obligations or duties. Who or what lays such duties upon us? No one. Remember, for the atheist, humans are just accidents of nature, highly evolved animals. But animals have no moral obligations to one another. When a cat kills a mouse, it hasn't done anything morally wrong, the cat's being a cat. If God doesn't exist, we should view human behavior in the same way. No action should be considered morally right or wrong. But the problem is, good and bad, right and wrong, do exist. Just as our sense experience convinces us that the physical world is objectively real, oh. our moral experience convinces us that moral values are objectively real. Every time you say, Hey, that's not fair, that's wrong, that's an injustice, you affirm your belief in the existence of objective morals. We're well aware that child abuse, racial discrimination and terrorism are wrong for everybody, always. Is this just a personal preference or opinion? No. The man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says two plus two equals five. What all this amounts to then is a moral argument for the existence of God. If God does not exist, Objective moral values and duties do not exist. But objective moral values and duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. 
Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. It's a little interesting, right? Just, I want to give you something to think about. Like, really just get your mind turning a little bit. Get your wheels going. If I could summarize that, I would say it this way. Evil and suffering actually proves that there is a God. Like, without an objective place, something outside of us, something outside of culture, shifting, laws, changing, personal preference, without something objective that is outside of humanity, you can never say that this is wrong because it is my truth, and that's relativism. Now, what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I don't want to speak logically to you, and I don't want to speak through philosophy. I want to speak through love, and I want to speak personally. Because if today you are suffering or you know someone who is, the last thing that you need is someone to show up at a table with a bunch of arguments and defenses as to why God is real. Or can I say it this way? I don't want to speak to your head for the rest of our time. I really want to speak to your heart. Because I know that we struggle with this on a day-to-day level. We struggle with this when we see injustice, when we see hatred, when we see racism. We struggle with this when we lose family members, when jobs are lost, when people in church betray us and hurt us. That is where we deal with it. So what do we do in those moments? And so we're going to read the words of a man named Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. He followed him, and he wrote specifically to believers who were suffering. So these are followers of Christ who are going through hard moments, and Peter takes the time to write and encourage them. And this morning, we're going to be encouraged by his words and discover the problem, the purpose, and the promise together. 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into, say these words with me, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to, let's say this word together, suffer grief, in all kinds of trials. So what Peter does as he opens up his writing is he says, you have a hope, you have an inheritance, you are saved, you're a believer, and you have to suffer. How many of you are glad you're in church this morning to get affirmed for that? It's like, all right, so I have hope in Jesus, I've got everything I need, and by the way, Peter says, you have to suffer. Now, the reason why this matters so much is that I want you to understand something we believe because Scripture says it, is that believers will suffer. And I know it's not a part where we want to say, amen, that's awesome, sign me up. And the reason why I want to highlight this for a moment is because there's a teaching that says, actually, as a believer, you will never suffer. You'll never get sick. You'll never lose a loved one. Everything will just be prosperous. You'll be healthy and wealthy for the rest of your life because you signed on to follow Jesus. And my friends, 
that is a gross misrepresentation of the gospel. And it is often used in manipulative ways to say, well, if you're suffering, you must be doing something wrong. This is your fault. And yet the gospel is a gospel of grace and God's love. So think about that. Peter says, you have to suffer. Jesus said, in this world, you will suffer. James, the brother of Jesus, said, you will face trials and tribulations of various kinds. And so, guys, we are going to suffer. That is the problem of suffering. No one is exempt. Not one person. There's nothing you can do to escape suffering. So then, what is your perspective on it? Because there's a lot of options when it comes to perspective on suffering. Let me give you a few. New Age Perspective will tell you that suffering is just a result of your mind and your thinking and how you process the moment. And so if you can just think differently about what you're going through, then you can accept it and then you can move past it and the suffering won't be that hard. In fact, the term that's used in New Age teaching is the word maya, which says the suffering is just an illusion. Just think better about this. Now, I don't know if you've ever really suffered before or walked with someone who has you try to tell them just think differently about losing your loved one that you prayed for, you're probably going to get kicked. Like, I don't need to hear that this isn't as bad as it is. I don't need to imagine that there's a different reality or this is just an illusion. But it's an option. Karma will say the reason why you suffer is because of what you have done. It's all on you. You're the reason that this is happening. You're the one to blame. And if you say, yeah, but the suffering I'm experiencing, I did nothing to, to deserve this. I mean, it wasn't that bad. Well, then Dharma will come along and say, oh, it must have been a past life. You've been reincarnated into this form of suffering. Do your best here, and in the next life, you may have a better life. Again, another option for dealing with the problem of suffering. Or atheism, if we can get past what we just heard about God not being real and how we need him to be real— Atheism will simply say, well, suffering is just life. At its base, it is survival of the fittest. It is natural selection. And if the weak succumb to the suffering, it only makes our species stronger. The strong will survive. So let me share with you what Jesus said about suffering and what the Christian message is about suffering. Suffering in this life is a result of human free will. From the beginning, we were given free will to either honor God or not honor him. And when we choose to not honor God and go our own ways and embrace selfishness, it will always lead to suffering. It's called sin. It's when we choose our ways over his ways and we hurt others and make it more about us than about Christ. And when we observe suffering and injustice in this country and in this world, you will find someone who believes that their way is better than God's way. And people will suffer. And what about those times where I didn't sin and I'm suffering? Well, we have an enemy of our souls, don't we? We read about that in Job. In fact, Satan himself went before God and, and said, can I make this guy suffer over here? Can I bring a little pain into his life? And God says, yes. And then there's these natural disasters that take place. What's, what's going on there? The ground itself is actually cursed, Scripture says. That, like, the world is crying out for its full healing and redemption, that one day Jesus will restore the heavens and the earth. And in the meantime, we see these disasters and this pain and this suffering. And I know none of these answers satisfy our hearts. And so let me give you the answer that Amy and I give our children when they ask about pain and suffering, and in our world, boo-boos, as we use that phrase a lot in our house— we say this, the world 
is broken. That's the phrase that we give our six-year-old and four-year-old when they ask, why is there pain? Why is there a boo-boo? My son, being very aware, why is there a coronavirus? And we say the world is broken, which means we live between the already of Christ's first coming and the not yet of his second coming. And right now the world is broken, and yet God is using his church, his people, to usher in his kingdom where the world will no longer be broken. Who's excited about that and thankful? That's a hope that we have. And so, yes, we will suffer, and you will suffer. But may we discover a purpose and a promise so that we suffer well. My hope for you is that you would not walk out of here saying, wow, I'll never suffer again, but rather that you will say, wow, I have the tools to suffer well when that moment comes. So let's read on. Peter says, these have come, that's the sufferings, so that the proven genuineness of your faith and our faith, he says, is of greater worth than gold. It, gold perishes even though it's refined by fire. That faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's one question that is asked by every person who suffers, and it's simply this word, why? Come on, have you asked that before? Because I have. Why is this happening? Why? Why am I going through this? Why am I sick? Why did that person get sick? Why, why did we lose this? Why? 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 We ask that, and every worldview will attempt to answer the why question. New Age will say the reason why is because you're just not thinking about it right. You need to change your perspective. You need to speak positivity into that. Karma would say the why is because of you. You did this. You caused it. It's your fault. Atheism will say the why is because we're weeding out the weak and we're preserving the strong of our species. And the message that we just read by Peter says the why is growing your faith. That's the purpose for the suffering. That as we suffer as believers, we recognize what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant this for evil, but God used it for good. What James, the brother of Jesus, writes, you will face trials and tribulations, but let them run their course so that it'll grow your endurance and your perseverance and your faith. What Jesus went on to say when he said, in this world you will have trouble, take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, our faith grows as we undergo suffering and pain and evil in this world. Now, I don't think it's wrong for us to say as a church, for the past couple months, we've faced some suffering I mean, think about it. Our church now has gone from permanent to portable, and now we're going to another portable location, and we're trying to figure this thing out, and we've asked the why question as a team so many times, and yet I know this about our church. Our faith has grown dramatically over these past few months. Do you believe that? I mean, like, we are trusting our God who has led us here, and now he's saying, close up the tabernacle and let's keep moving. Come on, you keep trusting me. Guys, when we suffer, there is potential for our faith to grow because our faith is in someone who is not undone by our suffering, Jesus. John Maxwell, who's a great Christian leader, business leader, written over 80 books. One of the titles of his books is this, Sometimes You Win and Sometimes You Learn. Isn't that a clever title? Don't we all understand that and agree with that, that it's often in our losses where we tend to learn the best lessons, the biggest lessons? And I know that, again, it doesn't satisfy us. It doesn't fully make us feel like, 
all right, fine, I guess I'm going through this, so then I can grow and learn. Because if you're like me, you might just shoot back at God and say, um, can you teach me some other way, please? <laughs> you're the God of the universe. Can we not go through the suffering thing for me to learn what you're trying to show me? And that's why we need to know the promise in the midst of the suffering. And here's the promise. It's what we've actually already read. Let's go back to verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And what I would like to call this is the Christian advantage to suffering. Here is the advantage that those who have their faith in Jesus have over those who do not. That when we suffer, we have a living hope who is with us in the fire. See, hope is something that all of us long for, all of us search for. And if you are suffering today, you know how grasping for hope is so important in your season. And this world offers nothing but temporary, horizontal, fading hopes. Have you seen that? Because I know I have. Where I've seen, I'll just turn to this substance because it'll numb the pain for a while. I'll just embrace this experience to forget what's going on. I'll just get a new marriage. I'll just get a new car. I'll just change my job. And then the suffering will be less and I'll be more at peace. And guys, every single one of those hopes are dying hopes. They are hopes that do not last. They do not fully satisfy only a living hope can fully quench the thirst that we have, especially in the moments of suffering. Christ is a living hope because he resurrected from the dead. He's already overcome death in the grave, which means nothing, not the pain you're experiencing, not the evil of this world, not the suffering that we endure, can somehow overcome the one who overcame death in the grave. He's resurrected, Peter says. How do you get resurrection? You only get it if there's first death. Christ died on the cross. What is that moment? If we can give it one word, what is the moment where Jesus died? Is it not suffering? It's where Christ suffered. And he suffered for us so that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might have a living hope. I want to show you just three things that happened on the cross where Christ suffered that maybe you'll be able to relate to today depending on the suffering you're experiencing. Maybe for you, the suffering that burdens you is the injustice that you see in this world. Maybe it's you, it's, it's your people. Maybe your heart breaks for people who have been unjustly treated and hated and innocent lives have been taken and lost. On the cross, an innocent man died. Innocent. In fact, I read in one book and research said that it was the cross where Jesus was lynched. Think of that word. Christ was hung from a tree, innocent. And so if you are suffering in that way, may you find comfort in knowing your Savior suffered that way. Maybe it's suffering because you lost a loved one. Someone close to you, a family member, has been taken. On the cross, the father lost his son. God knows what it's like to have a family member taken. Death, pain. Maybe it's, you're just asking why. Why? Why is this happening? Why the pain? Why the suffering? Why the evil? And it's the word that drives your suffering. And I want you to know that on the cross, Jesus himself cried out, 
Why, God, have you forsaken me? Are you seeing this? We have a Savior who relates to us in every way when we suffer. He suffered for us so that when we suffer, we know we do not suffer alone. You have a God who is with you in the fire. And this morning, I'm praying that our time together would stir up your faith to trust God in the midst of the suffering. We can't understand why it's happening. We don't know how long it will last for. But what we know is that God is all-powerful. He is good, and he is in full control, and he's there. He has a plan and a purpose. This is the promise in our suffering. But there's a second part of the promise, and it's in the word inheritance. Peter said, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. See, the hope that we have is that right now all the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, the injustice, the evil, there is a day coming where Christ will return and all of it will be made right. Come on, that's our hope, guys. We've got to live with eternity in mind to know that Jesus will return and that the pain and suffering we experience, Paul says, will feel light and momentary in light of his presence. I want to read you a quote by Pastor Tim Keller, who quoted J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings. So I didn't know who to attribute it to, so I put both of their names on the slide. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And that quote is Sam Wise hearing from Gandalf, the great's words. Everything wise, everything sad is going to come untrue. And then we read, and it will somehow be greater for having once been broken and lost. How amazing is that? I love that phrase, everything sad is going to come untrue. All the sad things, all the broken things are going to come untrue. They're not going to be our reality any longer. For those who know Christ, this is our truth. This is our North Star. This is where we're headed. Christ will return and make all the sad things become untrue. And so do I believe that evil and suffering exists? Yes. But do I believe that that somehow negates the existence and reality of God? No. I believe it proves it. Evil proves that there is a God because there is an objective framework for our lives. And so I will embrace that I will suffer in this life, but I will not suffer alone. And the suffering I go through will not end in death because Christ died for me. That is the hope of the gospel. Now, I want to share with you something that we can call a cheesy Christian saying, all right? So I made this up. I wanted to join the cheesy Christian sayings that exist out there. At some point, this made up on a coffee mug and a t-shirt, and we'll all buy it and get excited about it. But I asked Amy if I should share this, and she said, it's kind of cheesy. And I said, okay, I'm going to share it. <laughs> so oftentimes when we suffer, it can feel like we're out of breath. Like we just can't catch our breath. Maybe that's the season you're in right now. Even coming to church is a it's a breath of fresh air for you because for so long you felt pain and suffering and like you can't get a grip. So with that in mind, here's my acronym for us this morning. It's CPR. It's what we have to breathe as believers when we suffer in this life. And the first letter stands for this word, confidence. We have confidence in our God's goodness and in his existence. I will not allow a momentary circumstance to dis dismount all of my beliefs that I have in Jesus. I have confidence in my God who is good, and he has a plan for my life. 
That's something that we have as God's children. The P is perseverance. Because of our confidence in our God that when suffering comes and we see evil and injustice around us, we know that we can persevere because we know that this will not end in our death. Jesus died for us. There's a perseverance there. And finally, the R stands for the word rest, which I think is so beautiful and so needed for all of us who are suffering today. When's the last time you had a real rest in Jesus? In the midst of your suffering, to not give way to scenario spinning and anxious thoughts and worry and doubt and fear to catch your breath and to rest in the Lord and to know that God is on the throne and he is in control and God has a perfect plan and a perfect timing. And could he snap his finger and stop the suffering now? Absolutely. And do we fully believe in divine healing here? 100%. And we will pray bold prayers of faith for healing for every person. And at the same time, we will trust that our God has the best plan for our lives, that he is constantly at work, constantly healing, constantly doing things that we can't even imagine. And one day in his presence, all the sad things will be undone. And so I want to pray for you this morning for peace, for you if you're suffering, if you're overwhelmed by the pain and the evil in this world that is so very obvious. I want to pray that faith would rise up in our hearts, that it would be tested like gold in a fire, that only the refined, pure faith would come out as we suffer. So our worship team is going to join me, and I'm going to pray a prayer of peace and blessing over you and ask you to remain seated during this prayer because for some of us, let's be honest, the suffering is so intense that even standing hurts. Like emotionally, it takes a lot to have to get up, to face the day. And so I just want to pray for you right now that you won't understand why, you won't really fully fathom what's taking place, but you're about to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in a full, beautiful way where his presence overwhelms the brokenness, the pain, and the suffering. And so would you bow your heads with me as I pray over you? Father, I thank you for every person in this space and for our online family. I pray specifically for those who are suffering today who have pain in their story, who are seeing the evil of this world like all of us and saying, God, when will it come to an end? God, where are you? Why is this happening? Lord, may we learn to suffer well. May we not buy into the lie that the suffering around us proves that you're not real. God, it proves the opposite. You are real. We look to you to make the wrongs right to heal the broken. We wait on you for that inheritance, for that restoration. And we thank you that as we suffer, we do not suffer alone. You know, all of this we've spoken of is the Christian advantage. It's the blessing of knowing Christ. And maybe today you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you to put your faith in him, to let go of lesser hopes, and to be held by the living hope himself, Jesus. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to know Christ as your Savior today, just whisper this prayer, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me brand new. I've been living for myself, but today I'm surrendering every part of me to you. Thank you, Lord, for new life. Amen. Amen.